Welcome back to Camden Cast, your unofficial Baltimore Orioles fan podcast from CamdenChat.com. We are recording on December the 18th, 2012 in the evening. Not that it matters because this is the offseason where nothing is happening. I'm your host, Mark Brown. I'm Eat More SK on Camden Chat, and I am joined, as always, for now, by my podcasting partner in crime, Andrew Gibson. Andrew, how's it going? For now. For now. For now, we are joined by Andrew. Uh, uh, well, well, um, this is probably my last podcast, certainly my last for a good long while, because uh, over the weekend, I was offered a full-time position with the Pittsburgh Pirates front office, and I accepted. And uh, yeah, now I am uh, I'm leaving to go uh, help the Pirates break their streak of futility and, and win a world championship. And boy, you know, it's, uh, it's tough. It's, it's, it's really tough to, uh, stop doing this and stop writing on, on the site. And, uh, you know, it is all that. It's, it's but, tough. Uh, we're we're it, happy it, for you, Andrew. Yeah. And it's really exciting and God, it's just, it's a dream come true for me. And I was, I was completely and utterly moved by sort of the outpouring of support that I received on Twitter, on Facebook, and on the site itself uh, with my news. Uh, people I've never interacted with before coming out and, and telling me how proud they were, and, and tons and tons of people on the site, of course, and, and lots of jokes about the Navy SEALs, which I don't think that's very appropriate, everybody. Thank you very much. Well, look at this. He's Pirates Homer already. <laughs> So, so for the for the special occasion of Andrew's last podcast, we also have the uh, the Peter Angelos of Camden Chat along for the ride, Stacy Long. Welcome back. Hello, to the show. thank you. I was not offered a job by the Pittsburgh Pirates this weekend, not yet. so, ever, <laughs> so everyone is stuck with me for the foreseeable future. <laughs> I was also not offered a job by the Pittsburgh Pirates this weekend, but uh, seriously, like you know, Mass and WBAL, get at me. I'm available. If they were smart, you, you both would have been hired already. Well, they're obviously dummies. Yeah, well, they obviously are. So while we're, while, we're, while we're saying kind things to Andrew, I would just like to say to all the listeners, you maybe don't know this, but I really didn't know Andrew at all very well before we started doing the podcast. I think, what do you, Andrew, have we met like one time opening day 2010 at the, uh, at the yeah. gym, maybe? I think yeah, when um, uh, Johnny Damon screwed up in the field, and that was kind of strange. Yeah. And uh, so, like, I didn't really know Andrew at all. And I was just like, well, Andrew, Andrew seems like a guy I want to do the podcast with. And, you know, we were both kind of figuring out what the heck we were doing going from there to here. And uh, I'm sure there's more improving I can do. I'll have to improve without Andrew. But uh, I feel like we've come a long way and I'm pretty, pretty proud of what we've done. And I'm a little, a little sad to be moving along without, without my original podcasting partner in crime. I'll have, to, well, I'll have to retire that phrase. There will never be another partner in crime. But uh all, all I know is uh, the stronger half of the duo is definitely sticking around. So uh, I, I'm really looking forward to I, I wrote about this on the site, and uh, it, it sounds dumb, but I'm really just looking forward to like sitting back and not having to stress out about what am I going to write next and just get to listen to the podcast as a fan for the first time ever. As uh, a Pirates fan. One episode with Dan Simborski that, that was really, really good. And and to get to read your guys' writing and whoever wants to step up the site and, and 
be the next uh, full-time Louis Angelos uh, or John Angelos. I was never really sure which one I was. No, we were, we were never sure which was which either. But so so before we bore everybody with more with more sentimentality, Andrew, just one thing: Did you imagine yourself at the start of this year? Uh, you know, at the end of it, you'd be having a job with a major league baseball team. <laughs> I couldn't imagine it uh, 60 days ago, let let alone a year a year ago. So, um, it, it's it's remarkable. I was just thinking, it, what a year of improbable things to do with baseball it's been. And obviously, all of us as Orioles fans, we uh, we pretty much witnessed all of that for ourselves because, I mean, when. You know, we were still writing doom and gloom articles as late as like July and August, and waiting for the uh, waiting for the end to fall. Like Andrew, I was listening from the end of July right before the trade deadline. We were on Cameron Cast saying, "Well, the Orioles have to either get better or they're going to start falling out of these standings." And we were thinking, "Oh, well, they're not going to get better. They're going to fall out of the standings." And then uh, they did they got better? And, they got better. And then Nate McLeod happened, and Manny Machado happened, and Joe Saunders happened, and that I was I was uh, dumping on Joe Saunders on that very podcast. Oh man, uh, I I was out at uh, the big haunted hotel in uh, the Catskill Mountains when they acquired Joe Saunders, and I saw the news come across my phone, and I just sat there at breakfast, like, why would they get Joe Saunders? How dumb are they? Joe <laughs> Saunders with two wins in the playoffs. Yeah, yeah, I'm an idiot. How <laughs> how did that happen? I still don't know how it happened. I watched like 98% of the innings the Orioles played this year, and I don't understand. Yeah, especially especially when before the first playoff game in Texas, there I couldn't find one person in the entire world that thought that Joe Saunders would pitch well in Texas in a playoff game. You you Darvish versus Joe Saunders. Hmm. Total mismatch. Let's think about that. I just kept sitting there like. If if this guy gets on base, they got to take him out, and that was the leadoff hitter in the first inning. <laughs> so, and it just kept going like that until like the fifth inning or so. I was like, I, oh, this is like way better than anybody should have ever expected him to be, and he just kept going. I think I made a joke on Twitter before the game that was more sarcastic than anything. I was like, well, nothing would be more 2012 Orioles than Joe Saunders having a great game in a one-game playoff. And I didn't really believe that was going to happen. I, that was more like, you know, the Billy B and this stuff doesn't work in the playoffs, except it worked in that game. Whatever it was that Dan Duquette did with this magic worked in that game. That one game, anyway. Man, what what a year. What a year. I, Stacey, you, you alluded to this, but, like, God, if I could have handpicked like the perfect year for me to kind of leave the Orioles behind a little bit, even though obviously I'm going to keep following them along in my peripheral vision. This is it. This is total. This is like the storybook year. It was, it, it was so good. I, if you're caught up in like, are they going to repeat it? Why can't they repeat it? Maybe it'll be better next year. Like, I think you're totally missing the point because what they did was so, unlikely and so wonderful and like Nate McLeod like he could have been the Orioles most valuable player like how weird is that how awesome is that yeah I think that it's so many things happened that 
Lou Ford happened. And Lou Ford wasn't even that good when he, you know, overall in his time with the Orioles. But Lou Ford had some key hits. Lou Ford, you know, knocked in a run in a playoff game. Lou Ford. Taylor freaking Teagarden happened. Every hit more clutch than the last. So I think that this season was really, really magical. And I know that that's a kind of a cliche thing to say. But when it comes out of from out of nowhere and no one expects it and it's totally improbable. The Orioles starting pitching wasn't that great. Their hitting wasn't that great. Their defense for a while wasn't that great. It got better. It's just and yet they found a way to to work past that or what else is there but magic? And so I think that's one of the reasons I'm a little bit uh I was sad to let the season go because I still think that they're not one of the best teams around. <laughs> and that's why the inaction in this off season has been a little bit frustrating for me because I don't want them to stand pat and say, Hey, we're a playoff team. What do we else do we do? One reason there hasn't been a Camden cast for two months is because I didn't just want to come on here all depressed that the season was over. And I was like that for like a month. I mean, I just I couldn't handle that it was finally over. Like I, just when I finally was getting, you know, because I was scared. Everybody who was listening knows I was scared to really believe the Orioles could possibly be good the whole year, and it was almost like I didn't appreciate what was there until it was gone. I mean, I did, but I I didn't like just give in and be like, all right, I'm on board. I was always just like scared of the you know the other shoe to drop or something. I uh, back. Do you remember at the beginning of the year they were doing the Camden Yards 20th anniversary? Yeah. Like countdowns. Yeah. How many Great. how many games from this year do you think are gonna bust onto that list? Oh well. Sure should bust on. You know if they do 25 for 25 or something like that. Yeah. Well, you can find five games. The Chris Davis game's got to be on there. Mm-hmm. I guess that's not a Camden Yards game, but an all-time Orioles game definitely. Cal Ripken Statue Night is going on there. Yes. Oh God. Yeah. Talk about improbable. Uh, I mean, I was probably at three games this year that could have... I mean, considering some of the crap that was at the bottom of that list from, like, 13 to 20, like, random future uniform game from 1999 or whatever, and... Yeah, yeah. I mean, some one of those extra innings games has got to go on there. Um, But, like, it used to be... Like, I would watch, like, the old highlights of, like, Mike Messina doing his thing. Or, uh, you know, like Cal Ripken, the Cal Ripken night, the, the 21-31 game. And I'd just be like, like, that's what Camden Yard should be. And it would make me really sad. And because I know, like, I get it. That's not how it was anymore. The team was bad. There was a lot of frustration. I was very frustrated. And... It, it sort of dies, the anger dies off, and you're just left with sort of this infinite sadness, I suppose. And then the last game I went to at Camden Yard so far, uh, Stacy, you were there too. Um, it wasn't a playoff game. I did not get to see a playoff game in person. But the stadium was just packed. It was loud. Like, I couldn't hear myself think. It was so good. Like, it felt like... They were playing the Red Sox. I'm pretty sure. Oh, you had Brooks. And, uh, Brooks. Was it, yeah, Brooks Robinson Day, right? 
Yeah, it just felt like the Red Sox, they should have just forfeited as soon as they walked in that morning. They basically like, did. No chance whatsoever. And you just knew it. And it was like, that's how baseball should be. That's how baseball should be. The one thing that I think is that I can't go back. I don't, like, if, if the Orioles become, even if they're better than they had been in, like, the recent past, I don't, I, I can't go back to being someone who roots for a crappy baseball team. Like, I obviously will, because what choice do I have? I don't want to go they, back if to that's, 70. If that's the road that they take, then, of course, I will, be, I'll be again, become a fan of a crappy baseball team. But after feeling the way that it feels when you're in the stands for the playoffs, or you're in the stands the last weekend of the season, and it's just completely rocking the stadium the entire time, how can I... How can I go back? Like, what did they say in the in the ninth inning of that game two playoff game? Craig Sager on TBS had his little uh, decibel meter, and he said it was like 121 decibels, which was louder than any NBA arena he'd been in. So yeah, that's you know that's so whatever tens of thousands of people in an enclosed space, but no, 47,000 open space baseball fans are are drowning out you know the loudest NBA arena. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. When when Nate McClathery signed and he talked about the football atmosphere at Camden Yards, that's, all I could think is, God, I would give anything for it to be like that again in next September. And, uh, next October, Andrew. Well, sure, sure. But obviously, my my interests have, have shifted a little bit. <clears throat> but uh, we'll meet up for a death match in the World Series, <clears throat> all right? Orioles Pirates yes, rematch, nineteen seventy nine. Your your heart will be uh, rent asunder. Uh, my uh, my girlfriend actually asked me about that exact scenario, and while it's very unlikely, although you never know, uh, my response uh, is that's one of those good problems to have. Yeah, first place problems, World Series problems is okay to have. So Stacy, if you had to pick one, zero in on one improbable moment or player or whatever from the whole year, what do you what would you say is your your favorite player? I don't know, just anything that you feel is like the craziest when you're looking back on it like holy holy crap, that really happened. <laughs> well, I think that I mean, we've already talked about Nate McClough, but I think my kind of holy crap player was Miguel Gonzalez. And because you know, he had his first start that was good and I you know who thought that that would stay up and you know, because plenty of guys have a good first start. You know, but don't and who knows what the future brings to Miguel Gonzalez. But for the whole season, he just here's this guy who was nobody who was out of, you know, American baseball. He was getting ready to play in Mexico. Yeah. And I mean, he was done. He the Red Sox cut him loose and he was like, well, I'm playing in Mexico. And now the Orioles found him. And I mean, I it makes me nervous when I hear people talking about him being a stable part of the rotation next year and something we don't need to worry about because obviously, you know, what did he make like 10 starts or something? That's not his first start. Wasn't until July, I think. So, I mean, but still just watching him play and going out there and I never really, maybe a little towards the end, but I never really felt confident in him just because he was such an unknown factor and he was such a long shot and he was such a, you know, something that seemed like another guy off the scrap heap that would just, you know, take his place in the rotation because the Orioles don't have anything better, but he was better. Every, almost every time, he was better. Even on days when I couldn't figure out how he was doing it. 
And so, I mean... I thought he was going to be the next Chris Waters after his first start. Yeah, it was exactly like, well, right. one random good start, first start in Anaheim. And he even had the added emotion of he was playing in Anaheim and he was using the gloves from the, the late Nick Adenhart. And it was just, I mean, well, if ever the guy was going to pitch one good game in his life, that was it. And I was like, okay, after this, who knows what's going to happen? It's all gravy. And, mm-hmm. uh, Really, I mean, he you'd watch him. dominated the Yankees Great. in the playoffs. Dominated them. Like, he he was, I can't even, even now, even though I saw it all happen, I can't believe that Miguel Gonzalez was a thing that happened. Our, our SB Nation colleague, I was reading through some old tweets I had retweeted, and uh, our SB Nation colleague, Jeff Sullivan, during the playoffs, he, uh, he wrote a tweet that said that all year Miguel Gonzalez had three starts where he had double-digit swinging strikes. So he threw the pitch, and the other, the other team swung and missed. And uh, those three starts were at New York Yankees, at New York Yankees, at New York Yankees. So you want to talk about a guy dialing it up for the big games? I mean, that was I mean, Miguel Gonzalez dialing it up for the big games. Why not? Yeah. Well, that's Why like, not? That's kind of like Mark Reynolds. All of his home runs came against the Yankees. He had more home runs against the Yankees than any other team. Yeah, you know, the Orioles brought it. They came to play in September. Not in October, though. Mark Reynolds had nine home runs in September and October, and I think, like, seven of them were against the Yankees. Yeah, right. It seemed like he was just destroying them for, you know, a whole series at a time as the Orioles were clawing back in the standings. Unbelievable. That was It was really, really amazing. September, the whole September... As, as hard as it was to sort of, uh, in the moment, like on any given day in September, be like, holy crap, look at the Orioles. They just kept winning, like every day, basically. You know, they lose Nick Markakis. Not a big deal. They'll just win even more. All right, they'll just stick Chris Davis in right field. No big deal. <laughs> right. And Chris Davis looks a little silly out there. He misplays some balls really badly. And it still kind of works. Like, they still get away with it. Yeah, they still get away with it because Chris Davis hit 10 home runs in September and October. Yeah. Including that uh, monster shot off James Shields. So I, that's one of my favorite things. If the overhead camera from like the catwalk of that home run. And I swear it looks like the ball is going to like fly up high enough to hit the camera. Or that wasn't even the catwalk home run, was it? That was a different crazy home run he hit off James. Uh, he hit somewhere in that series. I don't know. Chris Davis. Chris Davis. Whatever. The whole thing, the whole year was last series of the He had hit like six home runs in a row. Like six games in a row at a home run. I mean, I don't even know how to pick one improbable thing. For me, it's probably like Adam Jones, because I was never thinking he was going to take the step forward as a player. And I mean, I still don't really know how he did it, because whatever his final total was for the home runs, but they were talking about it all year where some absurd percentage of Adam Jones's home runs he either tied the game or gave the Orioles the lead. Like, and and you'd watch him out there, and you'd see that he was just obviously swinging for a home run. And the fact that every pitcher in baseball has to have known in those situations, okay, Adam Jones is coming up, and he's going to try and swing for the fences. And he still hit 32 home runs with every yeah. pitcher in baseball having to know that every time he stepped to the plate. Like, that's just unbelievable. Adam Jones... Slugging over 500, all of it. He was the best player on the team, which I he was. I mean, yeah. uh, and two years ago, uh, 
or well, the 2011 season, I was like, well, you know, if Adam Jones is your best baseball, is your best player on the team, that probably is why you're not winning very much. And uh, 2012 Adam Jones was the best player on the team, and that was an okay thing to have happen. No problem. No problem with that at all. I have a. Uh, it, it's not a performance like Adam Jones or, or Nate McLeod even, um, but I think the most improbable thing when I look back is Ryan Flaherty, a Rule Five pick, hit a home run in the playoffs. Same game as Manny Machado hit a home run in the playoffs. That's a rookie, uh, rookie mojo coming through. Like, how often, especially with all of the rule changes to the Rule 5 draft, where you're not seeing a lot of Josh Hamiltons or Johan Santanas anymore in the Rule 5 draft, a Rule 5 pick hits a home run in the playoffs. He has to stay with the team the whole year. And Ryan Flaherty didn't do a whole lot to justify staying on the Orioles the whole year. Other than that, one, at, at one they point kind they, of hit him on the DL with yeah. tonsillitis. They didn't really do any <laughs> He has a cough stuff. on the DL. Like he was going to be out for like two games, and they were like, oh, no, we got a DL and we need somebody up here. Which they did, but I mean... Yeah, but then they kept him down the maximum amount of time. Absolute maximum, yep. Yeah. Well, even then, though Ryan Flaherty didn't have a lot of playing time, like, you know, they stashed him on the bench for a long time and stuff like that, I was always, I mean, and, and sometimes he just didn't look good at the play at all, but you could see what they liked about him when... Cause, for such a, I mean, he's a pretty wiry guy, and he had some real power. Like we were, I was at the games. We, me, I was at the games in Cleveland when he and Jim Tomey <laughs> both hit home runs, and I was like, so Jim Tomey, he's old, but yeah, that makes sense. But but I mean, they and then he had what did he a grand slam against Boston? He had some really nice, like powerful yeah. hits, and so I don't know what is going to happen with Ryan Flaherty, but. Tied it towards the end, I kind of was like, well, maybe this is why they they kept him around so long, even though it was basically like playing a man short a lot of the time. I had the perception, uh-huh. which may not have even been right, that uh, he he was just kind of getting better as the year was going along. So maybe he was doing work, you know, that we never saw or even really heard about. But it just seemed like, you know, April and May, he was clearly lost. Anytime you saw him in a game, it was like, oh, my gosh, how are they going to keep this guy on the roster all year? And And then somehow they managed and... Then, then he hits a home run in uh, in the playoffs, and it's you know talk about improbable things. That was yeah, that's up there. Well, T.J. McFarland has uh, quite the uh, encore performance to have. T.J. McFarland, the Orioles' Rule Five pick this year from yes. what did they pick him from Cleveland? I believe that's true. Yeah. I just couldn't bring myself to get worked up about that at all. It's like, well, right, and that's usually how you would feel about Rule 5 picks. That's how I felt about Ryan Flaherty, even though like he jumped onto the, the Baseball America top 10 prospects list after the Rule 5 draft, for, which said a lot more about... About the yeah. Orioles uh, and their their, uh, their their depth or whatever than anything. But, I mean, geez, what a year. A year. And of course, all of the Dan Duquette moves from last offseason were like, well, what's this going to matter? That's just some tiny move. And then it's like they all came together and somehow that happened. And it's like he's trying to do it again this year, which I don't I don't think is really uh, probably a good idea. But I would be so much more despondent right this moment looking at ahead to next year if last year hadn't happened. It's not like I think... 
well, let's just stand pat and, and they'll do it again, because I don't think that's going to happen. But I'm less sad about it having experienced this year, the, the whole 2012 experience, because, Andrew, I think we've probably said several times on this podcast, our most basic goal for the Orioles was just to not be a laughing stock anymore. And uh, if nothing else, I think 2012 has bought, you know, three to five years of not being the biggest laughing stock around. Always the first team getting pointed at is the embarrassment, whatever. Yeah. Uh, it, we don't know an awful lot in, in terms of like public sabermetrics uh, how um, attendance really works uh, statistically. With uh, we know very basically, winning teams see more attendance. That's kind of obvious, but it will be interesting to see if the Orioles regress, which I would think uh, most people would bet on them regressing. Not that they necessarily will. Um, it, it will be interesting to see what sort of goodwill they've built with attendance, um, and and also you know. I, I think I read, and correct me if I'm wrong, that they weren't going to raise ticket prices this year. Yeah, they're not raising ticket prices. Or the season well, tickets are not season ticket prices. I don't think they've made an announcement about regular tickets. Yeah, single, single game tickets could still go up, I suppose. So it'll be interesting to see how that all factors into. And obviously it'll be very difficult to make a, uh, a really concise conclusion. But... Uh, you know, if there was any year that was going to build up a bunch of goodwill, you you would need a team that's lost for a long stretch of time, like like Baltimore, and then a team that has this really black magic's season, uh, and and you know uh, how wonderful it was, and uh, it, it wouldn't make any sense to me for attendance to do anything but go up. I mean, just, just imagine how top. many season tickets they sold more than last year, just from the uh, having to buy season tickets for next year to get a get guaranteed postseason tickets this year. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. I mean, I don't know what that number is. The uh, Orioles aren't going to tell us, I suppose. And, you know, I, I couldn't even guess, but it can't be, uh, it can't be small considering whatever the season ticket base was, was down to was probably scraped down to the bone like it wasn't going to fall much lower than it already was for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. That's got to uh, got to make a difference. But at the same time, I do wonder uh, how quickly the fan base at large will get jaded by an off season like this. Like you just went to the playoffs, and now you're signing guys nobody will ever hear about from the independent leagues. Which is exactly what they did last off season, and of course Stacy had the uh, back when the Miguel Tejada. Well, that wasn't on the off season, but when when Miguel Tejada was signed for the minor league deal, it just seemed inevitable that he was going to come up and fail at the major league level because that was the Orioles we were used to. It's like, oh my gosh, they signed this old guy who's awful, and so I mean, Stacy and all the rest of us. That's how we reacted. So it was like, oh man, get ready for Miguel Tejada. But that's not how Dandy Kid operates because he's just whoever's whoever's making their way forward is who's going to play. And if they're they're old and broken down and they're not performing well in the uh, halfway retirement home in Norfolk, they will go all the way to retirement home. We didn't we didn't know that then because we didn't we didn't have a full season of watching Dan Duquette in action. But 
now we know, oh, these nothing moves, well, if none of those guys do anything ever, it doesn't matter. So, whatever. Yeah, and it, it wasn't just Tejada. They did the same thing with Jamie Moyer, who I was convinced was going to come up and pitch like 10 games of just excruciating badness. And he didn't pitch one game. Right. Well, I mean, especially because all the all the beat writers were acting like it was inevitable that Jamie Moyer yeah. was going to be called up. One of the more embarrassing things I wrote this year wasn't necessarily about something that proved to be wrong with the Orioles, about I thought they would be bad and they weren't, but that I just ran with get ready for Jamie Moyer because it looked like all the regular writers were like, oh yeah, Jamie Moyer's coming. And, and then like the next day it was like, oh no, Jamie Moyer's asked for his release. But okay. I didn't think he was just going to come up. I thought he was going to come up and they were going to really commit to him. Right. All, regardless all of Jamie. how he performed. Yeah. yeah. And they really didn't. Yeah. And that yeah. is completely to their credit. Yes, and it was very refreshing to see because like Mark, like you just said, it's not what we're used to and I think, I mean, I want to have faith in Dan Duquette, and I think that he's earned a little bit of that. Even though, you know, so many things had to go right that don't normally go right in last season, he still did make some moves that, that did pan out. And so I try to give the benefit of the doubt. But I think for myself, as well as for the fan that just recently came back, you know, this season, Peter Andalos was has been MIA for I don't know how long. And then after the Orioles were out of the playoffs, there was Peter Angelos in the locker room saying, we're going to do what we need to do. Make this team, comp- you know, we're going to be back next year. And now, radio silence. Well, I, th- I don't so think there's radio silence, Stacey. I think the talk radio is very much not silent on, Ugh, on the subject well. of the, the Orioles. So here's a question for the floor here, since we are, we are, we are the slightly higher evolved form of talk radio here on Camden Cast, I suppose. What it... What is going on with the Orioles? And I mean, the big debate seems to be what is going on with money with the Orioles? Because there seems to be a significant camp of people who, for whatever reason, believe that Peter Angelos is sitting on some vault of gold that he just like won't open. I, I saw the progressive amounts of money that he was sitting on, according to Nestor Aparicio, where it started out at like $500 million. I think it ended at like $700 billion or something like that. <laughs> Who knows? And so I'm, He's Scrooge McDuck. Yeah. He swims in it. It's, just think about that. And then there's people who think, well, <laughs> so, so Angelos has to sell the team that. if he's not going to spend this money. And then there's people who think, well, Peter Angelos is broke. And if he's broke, then he should sell the team because if he can't spend any more money, he needs to he needs to sell the team. And then it's like... What if there? What if there's money there and it's just not worth spending in this off season? Because look at, I mean, who was out there this off season really that was worth anything close to the money that they got compared to considering, you know, what do the Orioles need as a team? What, you know, what uh, can they add to the payroll even in optimistic scenarios? I mean, that's a question I don't have an answer to myself. What is the upper bound in optimistic projections of the Orioles' payroll? And that goes the same for trades. I mean, uh, a pitcher like R.A. Dickey would be a terrific addition to the Orioles, but they're not going to trade Dylan Bundy for R.A. Dickey. They'd have to be high to do something like that. So, you know, the the prices on players on the trade market and the free agent market are super high. You know, what can they do? So, I mean, was it just bad luck that the Orioles' first good year where it made sense to to spend money, there was nothing worth doing. That could. Well, 
you know, that luck's got to regress down some sometime. That's right. They made it through 162 games with that luck <laughs> intact, and then it expired as soon as the season was over, maybe. Not even in, in on the baseball field. It expired in the, in the front office sort of stuff. Who knows? But, I mean, there's questions about all kinds of things to do with the Orioles' revenue flow because we've seen in the news about the whole Major League Baseball is, like, supposedly stepping in to try and split off the Nats TV rights from Masson, which is, of course, when, when the, the Nats came to town, that was what Peter Angelos negotiated to make sure that he wouldn't lose out on money that he felt, uh, you know, was entitled to as part of his territory. So the Masson thing was was given to him to kind of shut him up so he wouldn't gum up the works of that. And now suddenly the Nats are good and Major League Baseball wants to uh, alter that deal a little bit like Darth Vader and Cloud City and the Empire Strikes Back <laughs> talking Lando Calrissian. But Peter Angelos uh, is pretty much there saying, you know, they wouldn't be harmed. And I knew there was going to be a Star Wars or a Lord of the Rings reference made at some point during this podcast. Andrew has got... When isn't there? Andrew- of course, I just made like 4,000 Lord of the Rings references the other day. Stacy, so. I have kept the Star Wars references to a minimum on this podcast. That might have, Maybe Game of Thrones. That might only be the third one I've ever made in, in 43 episodes here. So I'm pretty pretty much what's going on. Darth Vader's coming in and I'm altering the deal. Prepare I pray I'm not altered any further. And you know. Is that your Darth Vader impression? Yeah, it wasn't a very good one. Not, not, <laughs> the, best, uh, not the best impersonation that will ever be on this podcast. I hate you all. Shut up. Oh, no, I don't really hate all of you. I just hate Andrew. Just hate some of us, yeah. Oh wow. And and anyone who's laughing at me, I maybe hate you. Please keep laughing with you. No, but seriously, there's there's no way to know what's gonna happen. Right. My thing about the payroll they could totally... is that you just can't know. We, Like you just said, we can't know. We can't know what's going on with the money. We can, we do not know. But what I do know is that the Orioles' payroll has is basically middle of the road. They're not in the top, but they're not in the bottom. And plenty of good teams build good teams with a payroll similar to what the Orioles have had the past year or two. And so... If you build a team that's, you know, build a team smartly and don't give relievers seven million dollars a year, then you can work around that. And so I think that everyone just likes to make Angelos a bad guy. Not everyone, but a lot of people like to make Angelos the bad guy. And there are plenty of reasons that he's been the bad guy over the last 15, 20 years. But when we don't have any facts, but what we do have is that the Orioles. Whatever their budget is, it's enough to be competitive if they spend it in the right way. Then maybe that's what I think we should focus on. And of course, the 2013 Orioles are going to be more expensive than the 2012 Orioles, unless they're going to cut Jim Johnson and Adam Jones and you know all these other people and somehow not have to pay them. Uh, I mean, all they they had what? Like 14 or 15 guys who were due for salary arbitration? Yeah, it looks like according to Cott's contracts, the Orioles have $57 million committed already, and that's counting none of the arbitration guys. So you're yeah. going to add in Jim Johnson. You're going to add in Darren O'Day. You're going to add Wieters. in Matt Wieters getting his second year of arbitration. Chris Davis is getting some arbitration. Just, I mean, all these guys are getting more expensive. Pedro Strope, Troy Patton. 
Yeah. And all those guys deserve more money. Sure. They all played very, very well. Uh, I, I saw a quote earlier in the offseason about how, you know, the Orioles are happy to pay him more because they all played so well. Hopefully they play that well again and they can give him another big raise. But, you know, the payroll close to $80 million is going to be much closer to $100 million just without doing anything to anybody. Um, you know, it, it really does hurt their ability to go out and, and find whoever it is that people think they should have found. Right, like you look Josh at, you look at something like that, and Josh Hamilton, I, I do not think it was possible for the Orioles to have $25 million they could just drop on to 2013. I don't think so. I don't. No, I don't no. think it was anything they could do. Because I mean, I, I would bet the Orioles have no idea what the attendance is going to be next year. They they know whatever season tickets they enticed in with the postseason plans and all this other stuff. But game to game, who knows? Because who knows what the team is going to do if the team goes back to being you know seventy five to eighty win teams. You know, maybe it won't be as bad, but it's not like it's going to be. You know. Attendance goes up to 2.5 million fans or something like that. Who knows? They don't know. I don't know. Nobody knows. And in free agency, uh, you often hear the pundits talk about uh, teams that are buyers, like the Dodgers right now, or, or the Angels, paying the winner's curse, where they pay an extreme amount of money for a really good player, and then they still have that player when that player is not very good, and he's even more expensive. Look at the Yankees and Alex Rodriguez. That's the winner's curse. They won the bidding for Alex Rodriguez. This is the curse. Now you have a bad player who doesn't have either hip and, uh, you know. Flags fly forever, Andrew, because A-Rod pretty much single-handedly won in that 2009 World Series. Oh, yeah? The Orioles should be lucky. Out on that team. Wow, he had a really good postseason that year. But CC Sabathia is another player where he's under contract for a very long time yet, and he's not going to get a whole lot better. He's probably going to get a whole lot worse, and he's still going to be under contract, and there's not a lot they can do with that. And then it ends up with them running into an offseason where the most they can do is re-sign Ichiro Suzuki and Kevin Euclid. Right. The Yankees were just desperately trying to cut down payroll. And we had Tanya from Pinstripe. Well, now it's called Pinstripe Bible on back in July. And she was talking about they're going to have to get down below that luxury tax payroll for 2014. And part of that was cutting it for this year. So they wouldn't be tying up, you know, multi-year contracts that would still be on the books in 2014. So they can pay, for instance, Kevin Euclid's, $12 million for this year, but they don't want to pay him and have him on the books in 2014. And that's, I mean, you know, we saw some some of the things the Yankees were trying to do and couldn't do because of that restriction. Yeah. It was, uh, I would say it warmed the cockles of my black heart just a tiny little bit, <laughs> I have to say. Just, you know, seeing the Yankees getting outbid by the Cleveland Indians or something like that. I mean, really, if that doesn't cheer you up a little bit out there, I, I don't know what to say. And, and taking it back to the Orioles, they have to look at it long term and say they have these players like Matt Weeders who are under contract for several years. That's money they absolutely have to keep paying to them or they're going to have a bad team. And, you know, if they're going to make a huge investment now on a guy like Josh Hamilton that you don't know is going to be any good at all in three years, that's 
really risky, and that's okay in some situations, but I think if I were the Orioles, you know, there's no way I'd be signing up for something like that no. right now. I mean, so I mean, I guess the question is, no way for Josh Hamilton, but could the Orioles have done, say, uh, Nick Swisher? Should they do a Nick Swisher? Would they have? And I don't know the answer to that. Maybe they could have done that one, but I don't know. I don't know what well, to say about it's, that. Well, it's impossible to know because you don't know what everybody's offering for him. Yeah. But it, it's almost a guarantee that it will end up being on the expensive side of what you should, you think it should be. Yeah. So. Stacy, would Nick Swisher on the Orioles make you happy? You know that I like Nick Swisher, and I would like for him to be an Oriole. But, I mean, you're right. If he costs a certain amount or a number of years that the, that is not beneficial for the team, but, I mean, Nick Swisher, he gets on – I mean, he's kind of a douche, but he gets on base so much, and that's something that the Orioles really lack is guys who just get on base. And I think that he would be a nice addition to the team. So I don't, I'm not clamoring for him in a sense that, you know, the Orioles would be terrible if they don't make a big signing. And one of those could be Nick Swisher. But if they did sign him, I would be pretty happy. I think it would make the team a lot better. So, I mean, I don't know what he's going to get. Maybe $15 million a year for four years, maybe a little bit on the higher end of that. And I have, I have no idea if the Orioles could or should do that. But think about it. They had an $84 million payroll in uh in 2012 so if if they had the exact same payroll for 2013 which they probably won't but if if they added nick swisher money onto 2012 that would expand the payroll to 100 million dollars just just saying nick swisher so that's i mean i don't know i don't know if they can do that or not that's you know it's basically adding a sixth onto the payroll more than already is there just in one player and that seems a little crazy for a guy who says, well, he gets on base and he's he's good, but he's not like, you know, superstar. He's Nick Swisher. Yeah, I think while, you know, it's not as sexy as signing a guy like Nick Swisher, you have to be looking much harder and, and have your focus much more on uh, a pickup like Nick Swisher was when the Yankees got him. Right, find Where, the next Nick Swisher. Right, they traded Wilson Bedemy, and uh, I think uh, I'm going to get his name wrong, but Kanika Teixeira for Nick Swisher. Like, you know, pennies on the dollar, basically, just for an underrated guy. Well, we're halfway there. We already have a Wilson Bedemy to trade. <laughs> That's that true. really happened. Wilson Bedemy was traded for, Will- for Nick Swisher? <laughs> he was, yeah. It's because the White Sox were so fed up with him. Jeez. Well, the year Nick Swisher was on the White Sox was the worst year of his career, pretty mm-hmm. much. So, there. Uh, I guess you can understand that, but sucks for them. You know, and, and I think that's something the Orioles have methodically shown that that's what they're looking for. Guys like, you know, he's not the perfect example of it, but Nate McLeod several years ago was very good, and then was terrible, like really, really terrible. Probably was on his very last legs. Pick him up, they say, why not? And he works out for half a year. Right, like he would probably not even get a minor league deal if he hadn't uh, distinguished himself on the Orioles this year. Like if he had come right. to Norfolk and been bad, he, he might literally be out of baseball right now. But I, I can't imagine. And, and he wouldn't have even been in Norfolk 
if he hadn't been really good for the Pirates back in, what, 2008, 2009? Yeah, 2008 when he came in 27th place in the NL MVP voting. <laughs> yeah, right. He got exactly one tenth place vote. Um, but, you know, at the same time, it's really hard to find who's going to be the next player like that. Um, I, I had been working on a, an aborted piece uh, that I just never really liked the way I was wording it, that compared uh, Nate McClaus two years before he was signed by the Orioles to Jason Bay's last two years. Andrew, that piece will never be finished. Think about that. You're, no? you're abandoning yeah, it. You've abandoned I, it I, in, I really like the, in the desolation of the, the, the draft section of Camden Chat. How do you feel about that? It's so sad. I'm sad just thinking about that post. It, I might have to go in and delete it just to put it out of its misery, you know? Like, um, just think about what you're making me do here. But yeah, Nate McClouth. I mean, they need to find the next Nate McClouth. Along I'm all with... sad, Mark. Why would you do that? I'm sorry. I didn't mean to make you sad, Andrew. Uh, go Pirates, guys. Go go Pirates. Look at this. Look at this. What do you think of that? You're banned. You're out of here. No, not really. But banned, aren't I? They need... Just head on over to Buck's Dugout where you belong. Oh, those guys are really good. At yeah, blogging. they really are. Yes. So yeah, so. If, if you want to follow Andrew's new team, BucksDugout.com is the uh, Pirates SB Nation blog. So there's our little, there's our little cross network cross. Okay. Okay. United. So Jason Bay, who's signed by the Mariners, who who are rolling this same type of dice. I think every team out there is trying to roll this type of dice. Like how many teams do you think looked at the Orioles and said, well, if they can do that, why can't we? I feel like the Royals have done the same thing. Like, screw yeah. it. If the Orioles can win playoff games with Joe Saunders, the Royals are going to war with whoever. Jeremy Guthrie. Yeah, Jeremy Guthrie and Irvin Santana and James Bruce Shields. Chen. And Bruce Chen. Jeez. <laughs> that is a heck of a rotation. <laughs> I mean, is, is that any crazier than the Orioles with, uh, you know, Miguel Gonzalez and Chris Tillman and Jason Hamill and Wei-Yin Chen and Joe Saunders? No, actually, I, I think it's sort of analogous because the Royals are kind of banking on a lot of their young players with tons of talent in the world who just haven't all put it together, like Eric Hosmer and, and Mike Moustakis and Salvador Perez and, uh, you know, to a lesser degree, Luke Hoshaver and, and so on. And they're banking on those guys putting it together and putting a cohesive team and if they all do, then that's going to be a really good team. And the Orioles, uh, over the past year and into the future, are really banking on Matt Readers and Adam Jones and now Manny Machado and Dylan Bundy and, and Zach Britton and Arietta and all those guys, putting it all together and, and getting them back to the playoffs. So, you know, it makes it really tough because every team sees that and sees the opportunity that the Orioles showed if they didn't already know it, hey, you know, you can do it. The you Orioles can... and the Athletics, really. I mean, the first, you know, sort of. we're, we're a little East Coast biased over here, but, I mean, the Athletics were about as crazy as the Orioles were. Yeah, and the Athletics traded off all their all their so-called good pitchers. The the all-rookie starting rotation once yeah. Brandon McCarthy was injured. And, well, Bartolo Colon was uh, popped for whatever, <laughs> I guess. But they had just so many guys that it was their first year ever. What was it? The re- I mean, not that pitcher wins matter, but they set a record for wins by rookies in a season or something like that. And, and all those guys are, are really good. It was just sort of a, a perfect storm of uh, 
rookies developing. And they they managed to step up and win the AL West with the Rangers and the Angels being pretty much powerhouse teams. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of love the story of the A's. I love that they were in sole possession of first place exactly one day last the year. The last day of the but season. But the most important one. It's the only time. I, I think that if the, if the Orioles had not been what they were in 2012, I would have been very excited for the A's. Yeah. For sure. I mean, that's, you know, that's would have been the team we would have latched on to. It's like, okay, here's the team that can do something different and unexpected and, you know, make the playoffs fun and the longer they're in it. But fortunately, we didn't have to worry about that because instead we had our own, our own oh, success. Man. I was still hoping for like a A's, O's, ALCS, and maybe like a, a Reds, Nats. No, wait, that couldn't happen. Wait, could it? Yeah, Red, Reds, Nats, and LCS. Like... The playoffs could have been way more interesting than they ended up being. Like, Tigers, Giants, meh. Snooze. Playoff problems once once your team is in the playoffs, I guess. So close to Nats O's. Nats O's! Nats O's that would have been destroyed by Hurricane Sandy. Yeah, but... So I guess that worked out all right for Major League Baseball, but... Man, you're a Mark. I know. I know. I don't know. Andrew, it's you're, you're leaving me, and it's just got me all bummed out. I, uh... I don't know. We're we're still gonna hang out, right? Absolutely. Yeah, you guys, you guys are absolutely invited up to Pittsburgh. Uh, see some baseball. I have never really gotten out and looked around in Pittsburgh. I've never seen the stadium or anything. I I am sure I would like to do. That. <laughs> I have literally been to the stadium once, and it was for my interview there. Wow. So, so what a cool place to go for an interview. Yeah. Uh. Well, I like it there because I like Jalapeno Hannah, and she whacks the other pierogies with her purse. Andrew, when you went to interview with the Pirates, did they turn on the lights and put your uh, face on the Jumbotron like I believe the Indians did for Nick Swisher? No, are you kidding me? Like, Nick Swisher's that much better than I am. (laughs) Well, there you go. Teams teams were not vying for Andrew's services quite as much as they're vying for Nick Swisher. I guess they aren't. Maybe the, maybe the Orioles should put a giant, uh, like unfurl a giant canvas banner of Nick Swisher's face, like down the side of the warehouse, like just just from like the roof to the the Utah Street. You know, when I I heard about the Indians putting Nick Swisher's face up on their jumbotron, I I had this flashback to when the this was back in like. 2005 or 2004 when the Orioles were courting Carl Pavano and they put up on their Jumbotron Carl Pavano as the opening day starter for the Orioles. Do you remember this at all? I don't. No. I think I'm glad I don't. And it obviously had no effect whatsoever on Carl Pavano. And I was just thinking, like, how sad would that have been? Carl Pavano as the opening day starter. Talk about the winner's curse. Jeez. I, uh, I'm not sure it would have been any more sad than Rodrigo Lopez as the opening day starter. And why you got to say bad things about Rodrigo Lopez? Kevin Millwood as the opening day starter. We've seen some whoppers, Andrew. Well, Sidney Ponson probably did a couple opening days in there at some point. He almost certainly did. Yeah. Sidney Ponson had his moments he did. of being good. I mean, he really did the first time around. Then they made the mistake of trading him and then bringing him back. And none of the guys they traded him for. Are you saying 
that when a guy has this sort of out of nowhere great season, it's not the greatest idea in the world to just bring him back for another season or three. That might be what I'm saying. Well, let's hope Nate McLaughlin's not listening to this podcast. He's not. What if don't someone worry. on the Orioles was listening to the podcast? That would be kind yeah, of awesome. Hope. I would, uh, I don't know. I don't even know. JJ, call me. I really don't even know what I would do. That would be awesome. See, Andrew, you've cheered me up now. Now I'm happy, even just thinking about that. So thank you. Thank you for that. So, like, we meant to talk about the Blue Jays and how they're going to be so much better next year and how that kind of um, is affecting the Orioles' outlook for next year because that's one more competitor that they didn't really have in 2012. And I think in the final accounting, the fact that the AL East was weaker in 2012 kind of made the opening for the fluke Orioles to step in and and succeed. I don't know to what extent, but I mean, the fact that Boston uh, imploded couldn't have hurt. Or, you know, even, even the team like the Yankees that was ahead of the Orioles wasn't like leaps and bounds ahead like they have been in past years. But I mean, the Blue Jays, holy crap, just just taking advantage of these cheap teams that don't want to pay good players and just upgrading everywhere like everywhere well they they have paid a steep price in prospects uh, for for some of these guys dickies especially Uh, but you know they really do have like they open their window basically it's pretty cool for them it's not as cool for for you guys i imagine it is pretty cool up in canada with the window open right now look look don't don't start with this but, but I mean, they've, they've created an opportunity for themselves that just wasn't even there. But all of a sudden, they've got all these guys. That's... Well, even before they traded for R.A. Dickey, I mean, Mark Burley is – he's one of my favorite guys. And he and even though, you know, they ended up um, – the Marlins ended up giving him a bunch of money – he was a guy that I would have liked to see sign with the Orioles when he was a free agent. And Josh and... Johnson and Jose Reyes. Yeah, they're, I mean, even... Emilio Bonifacio. And they signed Melky Cabrera. Who knows what's going to happen with that? Yeah, Melky Cabrera, who is kind of like the, uh, the, the fad of the week when he was a free agent for approximately a week before the Blue Jays jumped on him. I had forgotten that they signed him until, like, I was reviewing with the, the Dickey move. Like, I, I read a bunch of articles about the Blue Jays offseason. I had totally forgotten Melky Cabrera was up there. Yeah, that, that's exciting. It's unbelievable. So, I mean, who knows how they'll put that all together, but... It will be even more exciting when they're still bad because the Orioles are going to beat them down, right? Am I right? Yeah. Yeah. Of course, it feels like the Orioles have not done well in Toronto and, like, ever, even even within the Buck Show Welter. Well, they're not going to have Tommy Hunter giving up 20 home runs in one game next year. We hope. So, oh, we hope. Oh, he looks so good out of the pen. I don't know how they could ever possibly convince themselves to make him a starter again. Yeah. Talking about going back to improbable things about the Orioles. How about Tommy Hunter shut down reliever? <laughs> yeah, throwing 100 miles an hour. Really? Him? That was my reaction. Right. It just didn't seem like a thing that could have really been happening, and yet it was. And he was, I mean, he was the most successful of the, oh, well screw it, let's just make them relievers because they can't hack it as starters right now. Conversions. I mean, Mattis a little bit, I guess. But, wow. So, yeah. 
No more 20 home run, uh, five runs all earned Tommy Hunter performances. Let's just hope someone else doesn't pick up that slack, I guess. But of course, you run through the rest of the AL East, and the Yankees, who really knows what's going to happen with their various mid to upper 30s players, potentially injury prone players uh, out there. Francisco Cervelli, starting catcher. Yeah, that's happening. Mariano Rivera coming back for one last lap around the track after his uh, knee thing. Yeah. And uh, Boston is having whatever, who knows, they traded all that money away. and Yeah, I do not understand them. And now they're spending money like it's going out of style again. Or, or they want to spend money, but they can't get the physical right with Mike Napoli, and so now they're not spending money on him. And I don't even know what's going on with that. Nobody does, I guess, except for... Boston front office. So, I mean, you look at all this, and then, you know, the Rays have dealt James Shields to restock with some prospects again and possibly fleece the Royals, like, horribly. Possibly. Possibly. So, I mean, you know, they're getting younger and cheaper. That's the type of move that, if you're the Rays, that's kind of a no-brainer because you have to constantly be reloading. Right. You know, it's not going to be too long before they have to start thinking about trading David Price. Right. And that's really sad. Uh, because he's a superstar, but it's also really exciting because if that's what they got for James Shields, think about what they're going to get for David Price. Right. David Price just is so much more of a special player. Not that that's anything against James Shields, but David Price is really good. And, you know, so so who knows what they'll uh, what they'll do. You know, that, that's, just, that's just how business works for them. And, uh, you know, they're always, I, I would think, at least in the foreseeable future, they're going to be savvy enough to find those types of really good deals. And some of them are going to work out really well for them, like they have so far. And some of them are going to be clunkers. Uh, but, you know, that, that's the sort of thing that it shouldn't surprise anybody that the Rays are trading an established star for a really good prospect package. And and that's what they're going to keep doing because that's their, that's their way of trying to succeed in the... Yeah, and maybe that makes them a little bit worse this year, and maybe that opens up Toronto's window. Maybe that opens up Baltimore's window to repeat what they did just a little bit more. Um, you know, it, it's really hard to <laughs> predict another 90-win season uh, just based on the talent on the team, but it might not be that hard to predict on their own just – you know, like an 83-win season. And then if the Rays get a little bit worse, if the Yankees get a little bit worse, if the Red Sox are doing their weird thing. Well, Andrew, it was pretty unlikely to get a 90-win season out of the 2012 Orioles, too. That's the one thing. I mean, you can't say no way, but it just... I'm just saying, the Blue Jays' window is open, and they've opened it themselves a little bit more, but... The, the Orioles' window is also not exactly closed here. Not yet. Right, I mean... This is still a good team. The Orioles made their own window last year. Really? Yeah. And they're still a young team. They're sort of the, the anti-Yankees in that regard. Where they have a ton of exciting young talent. Machado and Jones and Bundy and on and on and on. So... The average Don't... age of Orioles batters in 2012 was 28, and the average age of pitchers was uh, about 27 and 8 months. So, I mean, Even with Jim Tomey? 
Even with even counting Jim Tomey, even counting you know all those guys, that was the that was the average according to BaseballReference.com. So everybody's a year older. Mark Reynolds isn't here anymore. Some other guys aren't here anymore. Maybe Joe Saunders won't be here anymore. Which, how 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 crazy is it that we might actually lament that even a tiny little bit? What I mean. He pitched seven games for the Orioles in the regular season, Joe Saunders, and yet he's he's in Orioles legend. Mm-hmm. Joe Saunders is, is is you know is a legendary Oriole, and I guess if you want to buy that DVD the Orioles are putting out uh, in January, the Buckle Up Birds and Underdog Story, I don't think I'm going to buy that DVD. Twenty five dollars sounds like a lot for that. Did you guys watch that trailer? It was very silly with how serious the music was and everything. <laughs> Yeah, it it made me laugh. Sort of the the false bravado, like the dramatic, you know, text yeah. flashing on the screen, and it was only- being an underdog is serious but, business. Yeah, like that. It it felt very, very, very Orioles to me. Like it, it felt very, very appropriate. Put together by the award-winning Orioles Productions. Stacy, didn't they win for like Andino at the movies on the Jumbotron or something? That was one thing they wanted. Whatever is the like awards show, why not show? But for that kind of thing, Andino at the movies did take home a trophy. Yeah, and that's the team that's done the Orioles uh, the DVD of the 2012 season. It, you know, don't they only make DVDs of World Series champions? I guess you know, first winning season since 1997 kind of ranks a little bit, but. There's another one of those things like, well, I'm not going to buy a T-shirt that just says postseason because, you know, yeah, right. five years Getting from now, who cares? Getting to the postseason is, is fine, but it's not cool. Winning the World Series is cool. Yeah. yeah. I thought getting to the postseason was a little bit cool. It's a little bit cool. It's just, it's not cool with capital K. I, I'm sorry, I did not mean to. Oh, the Orioles did add American League wildcard 2012 onto their press release uh, paper. I just noticed that. Are they going to put up a flag? I don't know. I hope not. They made they they always would have American League wildcard 1996 on their thing, along with they also say when they were the division champions, league champions, and world champions. And they and they have the two with the wildcard now, 2012-1996. So they're they're proud. I'm proud. I'm proud of the Orioles. It was good yeah. good year to be an Orioles fan. It really, really was. We can only hope next year will be as cool. For the Orioles and the Pirates. Yeah. The Orioles and yeah. Pirates. Sure. See you guys in the World Series. That would be okay with me. If the Orioles were in the World Series, that would be okay. I don't care who they're playing. Oh. Orioles and Pirates, <laughs> that would be something. That would be like, you know, that would really be something. And then, and then Andrew, again, your heart would be kind of rent asunder. Maybe. Maybe. Well, we won't get you in trouble by getting your uh, getting your your secret leanings revealed in public. Andrew is not. Oh yeah, because it's so, man. so hard to to guess. You know, all of my secret leanings. Well, you know, whatever. So let's. Uh, well, we kind of have gone ahead without ever taking a break. I guess we were all just excited to be here and talking for the first time in two months. So uh, it is about time to sort of think about not talking anymore tonight, which I'm a little sad about and I'm I'm postponing, I guess. Yeah. Let's let's orient ourselves towards some final thoughts. So Andrew, what a the season I that was, the season that will thoughts. be that you will not be uh not be writing on Camden Chat anymore for any of that um, life, the universe and everything. Yeah, I don't know. I 
I'm not ready. Let me go last. Okay, Stacy. Okay. First. <laughs> well, I wanted to. I didn't really get a chance to say goodbye to Andrew at the top of the the podcast. Yep, so talking over you like the whole time. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, let's keep doing that. Jerks. But um, I looked. I was looking back at you know through the archives and Andrew's first fan post on on Candace. I was in 2009. I was so, thinking about this this morning even. So it's been you know three years, a little longer that that Andrew has has been with us on Canon Chat, and so I actually took over Canon Chat full time from Scott Christ in October of 2009. So Andrew's pretty much been with me since the you know. Yeah. Since the beginning of when I became the official in charge person, and so, you know, I don't, I don't think that I could have done as good of a job I did with the site without, without you, Andrew. So, thank you for all the time that you put in, and thank you for being a totally different thinker than me. I think that adds a really nice dimension to the site and to, you know, I think you, me, and Mark, all three, as well as the other writers, you know, we all have our own little angle and. You really brought a lot to the table. So I don't know what the future holds for the Orioles because they haven't done anything yet. And we have no idea of knowing what they're going to do, you know, next year as far as regression or which players will get better and stuff like that. But I'm going to be a little sad that Andrew's not going to be there with us for the journey the way he was this year. So, but I'm very excited for you too. So that's exciting, but that's all. Thank you. I am a little. I'm. I'm pretty sad about it too. But I'm happy for Andrew because Andrew and I have definitely gotten to be friends uh, from the from the process of doing this. You guys don't get to hear all of our off mic banter about baseball or whatever that you know would would go on before and after, and we'd just go until we just felt like it. We were like, oh man, I guess we got to do this podcast thing. And sometimes we would talk for like 45 minutes or an hour before or after. And it's it's really been a it's really been fun for me. And I. I don't know what shape the podcast will be going forward. I'm definitely going to keep uh, keep with it, but it will not be the same without Andrew. And I will, I will be lucky if I can find someone half as good as Andrew to keep going with me. Because, uh, like Stacy said, we kind of all have our own different little angles, and obviously I'm a little biased, but I feel like Andrew and I were uh, pretty good compliments on here because we both had different perspectives. That was I'd like to think so. Too. Yeah. So, I mean, that's been fun. And and this has really been fun for me. Uh, I didn't talk about it a lot on the podcast, but I tried to do that WNST radio contest over the summer, and I never would have had the confidence to do that if I hadn't been doing the podcast, which I wouldn't have had a podcast if Andrew hadn't said, yeah, cool, I'll give this a try, when this guy he met one time and was a fellow writer on Camden Chat emailed him like, hey, uh, I was thinking we should start a podcast. That was That was Andrew when I first emailed him about that. Like, we had met one time, and he decided... Yeah, sure. We'll give that a try. And you know, I uh, I feel like I have learned a lot about what I'm good at and what I would like to do and stuff from doing that. So definitely one of the best decisions I think we have made, just to sort of jump in feet first and, and that whole I have no idea what I'm doing mentality, just pushing it aside and, and really going. Yeah, it's for been it. cool because podcasts can be whatever you want it to be, and I like to think we've figured out a pretty thing so now i got to go back to the drawing board a little bit i'm a little bummed about it but on the other hand somebody that i have worked with for the last year and a half has gotten a gotten a job with an actual baseball team so that's pretty cool pretty cool stuff yeah Yeah. um i i was actually uh thinking about 
like, like Stacy said, my first fan post. And if I am not mistaken, and it, even if I am, don't tell me, because it, it makes it better in my head this way. Uh, I, I wrote about Miguel Tejada um, being traded for the second time when he was traded to San Diego. And, and for the kind of the, Lynn Pelzer. Yeah, yeah. Kind of the complex emotions involved with that and how I remember when he, he had first come back as an Astro to Camden Yards. And, and you know, I, it, I was trying to think about, like, that was really up to that point, the, the last time I was really, really super excited about the Orioles was when they had signed Tejada originally, and they had that big winter to sign Tejada and uh, Javi Lopez and Rafael Palmero. And, um, you know, it, 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 it's complicated. It, it, it's very complicated to, to work through all this stuff. And, and I was so thrilled that it came out, you know, readable, much less I think it was the best thing I ever wrote. And then to get the chance to just keep writing and, and keep trying to work through all these really complex issues, whether it be the math and the statistics or uh, just fandom and, and baseball and life. And God, just, just thank you guys for building this community with me. And, and you know, I could not have gotten this far without you two, and just, I don't know. Uh, it's it's gonna be really uh, tough to to keep going. So, uh, I, I don't know, I'm, I'm feeling stupid now, so I'm gonna stop talking. That's okay, you know what, I meant for all of us to say final thoughts about the Orioles, but I guess we don't wanna talk about the Orioles right now, which is okay, because, well, you guys, you guys listening, you all know, nothing has happened. Nothing is likely to happen. They're not starting the season tomorrow, so that's okay. But, I mean, really, what is out there on the horizon unless there's a surprise trade? You know, uh, Jim Johnson gets dealt or, you know, Jason Hamill gets traded as, like, the same way Jeremy Guthrie was traded and he brings back, you know, another starter or who knows what the heck. I mean, unless there's some kind of surprise thing like that or, you know, the Orioles dangle Jonathan Scope out there and get some some big name which doesn't seem like the kind of thing Dan Duquette wants to do you know what is there to say about that nothing really it's just uh you know we had a great 2012 and that's still been pretty cool we the Orioles uh team not not we ourselves but Orioles fans had a pretty good 2012 too although when I say we I don't mean I'm part of the Orioles obviously I'm not uh, so I mean you know, there, there's your there's your ultimate final thought, I guess. 2013, who the heck knows? But it's uh, it's a lot more fun to look ahead to 2013 after this year has happened because even though I don't think they're going to duplicate it, I no longer am fearing 100 lost seasons or, you know, I no longer am fearing just constantly being a laughing stock on ESPN or MLB Network or, you know, people making fun of me on Twitter or who knows where else. It's just... Uh, it's there. I don't know what's going to happen, but it's kind of exciting. I guess that's my final thought. Stacey, do you actually have an Orioles-related final thought? Or? 
No, just I think we don't know what's basically what you said. We don't know what's going to happen. We don't know. And as Dan Duquette said once and has been repeated many times, well, we're not playing a game tomorrow, are we? So there's time. And hopefully that with the time, you know, I'll feel a little bit more confident about what's happening. I mean, think about all the stuff from spring training last year, guys, that we never knew were going to be on the Orioles that year last year i mean i remember i distinctly remember writing a post for a spring training game that just seemed so pointless because everybody that was pitching or scheduled to pitch was just a nobody and one of those guys was miguel gonzalez and there were some random other names and i was like if any of these guys even pitch one game for the orioles i will be shocked and then one of them was miguel gonzalez and who saw miguel gonzalez coming well i didn't none of us did nobody did except for Dan Duquette and what? Fred Ferreira was the one who found him in the Mexican League or whatever. The shark, they call him, or whatever. And, I mean, who knows who the, if there will be a next Nate McLeod, the next Miguel Gonzalez, or, you know, what the current Miguel Gonzalez and Nate McLeod will do. What will Manny Machado do with a full year? Will he get a full year? Will we see Dylan Bundy? I don't know, man. It's It's cool to think about these things and maybe have a little bit of optimism instead of just wondering what will go wrong. Who's going to get hurt? Who's going to be bad? We've, we can move on from, from worrying about that quite as much. Because I was 13 years old the last time the Orioles won before this year. And now I'm 29. So it was nice to break that streak. It really was. All right, Andrew, before you, before you leave us for the Pirates' uh, the pirates sphere mm-hmm. of influence, give us, your, give us your last take on the Orioles at this, at this juncture in, in history. I think it is. Um, it, it's really easy for me to say they overachieved last year. They're not going to be that good. They shouldn't have been that good. And in that way, I think they are still primed to surprise in 2013. I think they have a very, very good shot at winning more than they lose. Um, and anytime you're in that bracket, when you start the season, you have a fighter's chance at making the playoffs again. You have a fighter's chance at winning the division again. And, uh, you know, uh, I'm not going to be there to celebrate that, obviously. But um, I, I really do hope that baseball in Baltimore keeps being a big deal because it's better when it's a big deal in Baltimore. It's better for everyone. I was at some games this year that were just amazing. The playoff game was one. Calvary Statue Night was one. But there were there were a number that were just really great to be a part of. And it was just fun to see, especially after all the stories that were written in August by you know the, the Orioles writers that were like, well, the fans are not coming back and blah, 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 blah. And my thoughts on that are not exactly a secret. But when the fans came back, they brought... They brought it, and uh, that was fun to see because back in April I wrote a story about how the torch was still lit for baseball in Baltimore, and I have to be honest, I was trying to convince myself of that when I wrote that story. I didn't necessarily believe it, and uh, what I saw throughout the season has, has made me believe what I, what I was espousing at that time. It really is. Uh, it's still alive, and the flame was burning. They just had to start winning again, and, and then they did. They did. And, uh, yeah. And, and this is what I told the Pirates that I will insist in my head is what drew them to hire me is as 
awe-inspiring as as the comeback in Baltimore was. That's that is what I want to be a part of in, in Pittsburgh because baseball's better when all of Pittsburgh is behind the Pirates. Just like it's it's better for everyone when all of Baltimore is behind the Orioles. When when a baseball game becomes an event like a football game, to to use Nate McClough's analogy. Oh my God! It's just so cool, and and you know. So Andrew, you close the deal with the Pirates by bringing up the Orioles. Let Let's just pretend. I will believe it. Not. I'll go with that. Why not? So there you go. Um, Everybody out there so who's yeah. sad Andrew is leaving, just know that that was his closing line as he brought up the 2012 Orioles experience as uh, as what he wanted to create in Pittsburgh. So you know, if the if the Pirates win, it's because Andrew's in there trying to make them Absolutely. like the Orioles. Absolutely. Wow. Yeah. So, you know, even if the Navy SEALs come back, that's really what's... <laughs> Boy, everybody just cannot lay off the Navy SEALs. No. Jokes. No. Really can't. It's just too easy. It's low-hanging fruit, you know, Andrew. I, I can't yes, help it. Yes, it is. I can't help it. Yes, it so, I, so, I am dreading ending it, but it, it, it does have to end sometime, so... That's going to be our final Camden cast with Andrew Gibson as a regular. It's been really been a wild ride. I am your host, Mark Brown, and I will be going on somehow. Somehow. You will. I, I, I don't know when the next one will be. Cause I'm really, really looking forward to it. Let's be honest. There's there's not much happening with the Orioles, but maybe we'll get a, a breaking news one uh, to talk about. It. And Stacy Long was also here, and I really feel like I've been talking over Stacy the whole time. But Stacy, <laughs> thanks for coming on again. We'll, we'll probably have you on a bit more often now that there's no more Andrew. And, uh, well, I'm no Andrew, but I'm happy to fill in until you find your next permanent replacement. So we are going to sign out for tonight. So again, I'm Mark Brown for those esteemed worthies, Stacy Long, and a, a fond farewell to Andrew Gibson. That's all we've got for tonight. We are bringing you Camden Cast. This is Birdland, and we are out.